Welcome to the Dr. Pascal Podcast. Dr. Pascal Nguyen is America's integrative dentist. He will provide you with a weekly show to help you overcome, fix, and deal with some of your most serious health issues. The ironic thing is that most of the advice and tools he provides will not necessarily focus on your mouth. Dr. Pascal has built the nation's leading dental practice for treating general health-related issues by treating the mouth. Patients come from all over the world to have their ongoing health issues healed, and Dr. Pascal will do the same for you. Welcome to the Dr. Pascal Podcast. Hi, welcome to Dr. Pascal Nguyen's um, podcast. Um, today, um, we have a unique opportunity to interview um, my host, uh, Dr. Lopa Gupta. Um, I, I would go through the credentials here, but um, I've rarely seen such a long list. Um, you're very, very distinguished. It's very, very impressive. But mostly, um, before I ask you to introduce yourself properly, um, I'm very excited for everyone to hear um, a very important topic, uh, which is um, how to deal with festoons. Um, I'm not very versed with that, but um, it causes problems. And um, I think it's very important for people to, to be aware of this. So Dr. Gupta, would you, um, would you introduce yourself? Uh, let us know, you know some of your background and um, you know, what, what, what are some of the things you do? Of course, uh, thank you for having me, Dr. Nguyen, if I pronounce that correctly. That's perfect, um, yes. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so my topic uh, today for the podcast is, is increasing festoon awareness. And it, essentially, festoons are what we call an iatrogenic problem these days. Most festoons are caused by cosmetic injections that people have. Uh, for the purposes of looking better, more rejuvenated, and great for their age. Okay. So, um, you know, my audience doesn't know you. Maybe tell us about yourself. You know, you're a pharmacologist. You're, um, I mean, I'm not super versed in all these. Okay. Okay. Um, um, board certifications, you seem to have like a tremendous amount and I know you're super qualified, but um, okay. maybe tell so, our audience what absolutely. that is. Yeah. So I, I graduated, I've been an overachiever as most doctors are OCD type A, whatever <laughs> you want to call us OCD. Um, so when I, after graduating valedictorian from my high school, I was fortunate enough to uh, be admitted to Northwestern. Uh, university six-year honors program in, in medicine. So I was able to skip two years of college wow. uh, because I knew from the get-go that I wanted to be a doctor and I couldn't wait. So saving two years of college was like, uh, you know, it was a done deal for me. So in six years, I got my combined bachelor's and MD degree. And then I went off to an internship at U UCSF, University of uh, California, San Francisco, followed by a uh, residency in ophthalmology at Stanford. And during my residency uh, at Stanford, I had the opportunity to work with top retinal surgeons uh, to do um, what I call bench research in medical retina. And I uh, that fostered a few uh, publications and peer-reviewed journals. I wrote a book chapter. But I was sort of sidelined, if you will, sidetracked by an elective rotation I did with a uh, Menlo Park uh, 
oculoplastic surgeon who was performing these elegant surgeries on the eyelids in the office under local anesthesia, which was very different from what I was used to being in the, in the operating room uh, with lights and ORs and hundreds of people. And so it was just, this was a very Zen type of experience for me. And I was very drawn to this experience. And it also tapped into my creative aspect. I am a dancer and I'm not a professional artist, but an artist of sorts. I'm an interior decorator. So being in oculoplastics allowed me to use the creative side of my personality in addition to the medical side and the surgical side. So then I did a fellowship in oculoplastic surgery uh, with one of the founding fathers of the field in Albany. His name is Orkan Stasier, the late Orkan Stasier. And I think he basically, it was boot camp, military boot camp. He molded me, uh, of course, in conjunction with all my other Stanford faculty and Northwestern faculty into the the creative artist uh, I am today and today and the innovator that I am today. Okay. And so you, you, you became this kind of artist of plastic surgery around the eye. Am I, am I getting that properly? That's correct. Okay. And um, for those of us who are not familiar with those kinds of surgeries, what kind of surgeries what kind of procedures do you do? What kind of things do you correct? So in a fellowship, in an oculoplastics fellowship, there's uh, various components to it. There's a cosmetic component. There's a reconstructive component. There's an orbital component. You get a taste of all of that during a fellowship, depending on which fellowship you do. You may get a little bit of more and less of the other. I had mostly a taste of reconstructive and orbital, very little cosmetic. Um, but as luck would have it, I was drawn to the cosmetic component the most, but we did what's called ptosis repairs where a lid is drooping, um, where there's um, too much skin around the eyes or too much fat around the eyes, that's called blepharoplasty. When somebody has a blocked tear duct, we did what's called a dacryocystorhinostomy, so tear duct surgery, then fractures of the orbital floor. So those were a lot of, and, and of course, cancers of the eyelids and reconstructing um, the eyelid after the cancer is removed. So we had a plethora uh, of these uh, reconstructive and non-cosmetic cases. As far as the cosmetic cases go, we did a few blepharoplasties, uh, but not that many. But the most important thing for me during my fellowship, I was at the right place at the right time. And what I mean by that is the CO2 laser, carbon dioxide laser, mm -hmm. became approved, was approved by the FDA for eyelid surgery. And, and that basically set the pace for my career. Okay. So, so this laser allowed you to do things in a different way or things that you couldn't do before? So laser is a tool. It's instead of using a knife and a scalpel or scalpel or scissor approach, a laser allows you to cut, to coagulate tissues um, with minimal bleeding and minimal, what we call collateral damage. When you use cautery, mm -hmm. there's a lot of associated scarring. Um, there are a lot of thermal damage. And, and when you work on the eyelids, on people's faces, you want minimal scarring and mm -hmm. you don't want to leave any signatures behind. So with the laser, uh, we were able to incise tissue, excise it, dissect, you know, um, achieve hemostasis, good, excellent blood bleeding control. And I fell in love with this technology. I was introduced to it thanks to Dr. Stasier. Um, but I fine-tuned it as soon as I started my practice. And 
just pounded out a lot of CO2 laser blepharoplasties. And in a few years, I, I got quite prof proficient at, at doing these laser surgeries. Okay. Um, so let's dive into the, your procedures then. I don't know if you want to go right into festoons, but, okay. um, you know, you're, you're, you know, during a conversation before we started, you know, you wanted to, I sense that you're really wanting to empower women and men, but, you know, people who are looking for and have, or maybe have already done some cosmetic work and, and maybe there's some trouble and things like that. So maybe clarify, you know, that yes. if I didn't that say of that course. properly. And yeah. Yeah. So um, just to continue my story and it'll make more sense what I'm about yeah. to say. Okay. Please. So remember in my head, I have this vision of doing office-based surgery uh, according to what I saw in Menlo Park with Dr. George Paris. So that was my vision for my practice. I did not want to do hospital-based practice. I'm a control freak. I wanted to do these procedures in my office on my own time. I didn't want to feel rushed. I wanted to be an artist. And, and perfecting these laser blepharoplasties, I was able to very quickly move my surgical practice from the hospital to my office. So I started doing them in the office under local anesthesia. And right about 2007, when I was very well entrenched in my cosmetic oculoplastics practice is when the filler started, uh, you know, the filler revolution came. So we had all these fillers, people were going for under eye fillers, cheek fillers, you know, you name it, uh, Botox. So the cosmetic boom had come. And what we were seeing as the aftermath of overzealous fillers was that we were starting to get pockets of fluid here. And if the filler was reversed in time, the hyaluronic acid fillers can be reversed with an enzyme injection when it's done promptly. But if you let it sit there, then it filler just encapsulates and it creates chronic swelling issues because the filler is very hydrophilic. So it draws in a lot of water. But I was starting to see a lot of festoons in my practice from what we call iatrogenic, uh, iatrogenic festoons caused by fillers and primarily HA fillers, hyaluronic acid. And some patients were coming in maybe a year later, two years later, three years later. I tried wherever possible to reverse them with enzymes, but it didn't work all the time because the filler was getting trapped. And all the standard festoon surgeries that we had, there were only two that we had in our arsenal at the time, uh, is aggressive laser resurfacing, which I tried it, it didn't work. After the swelling subsided after a few months, the festoons just came back. So I said, this is not a good long-term solution. And the only other surgery uh, was to create a big scar across the cheeks. And I said, I can't do this to my cosmetic clientele right across the face. Mm -hmm. So I had to develop a technique that was minimally invasive. I could use my laser technology and have a minimal scar. So I dabbled with a few things here and there, and I struck gold uh, when I created a little incision right here at the top of the festoon. Now festoon lies right below the, the eyelid. Okay. So if you follow your orbital bone, it's sort of, sort of an arcuate shape. And the festoon is the area just underneath that. That's why festoons have an arcuate shape because it sort of follows the lower aspect of the eyelid. And the reason it collects here and it pulls is because there's a very tight ligament right here called the zygomatical cutaneous ligament. We'll say ZCL for short, that prevents the fluid from going down. And the reason we have this ligament in the first place, is because, you know, God, 
or whoever was trying to prevent infection from the mouth from going up into the eyelid and back into the brain. So that ligament to me was important and I didn't want to destroy it. So the, the premise of my festoon surgery basically became, well, let me tighten everything up uh, above it and prevent the ingress, the influx of, of festoon fluid. So I created a little incision here and through that, and I was also adept at radio surgery by now. And radio surgery basically uses radio waves, high frequency to create the same things that a CO2 laser does. But the radio surgery apparatus has a little tip that I could insert through this incision and squeeze it in there, basically burrow it in there and, and cauterize the festoon area because it was a sponge full of fluid and filler and basically desiccate that sponge. And so I started doing these with a one centimeter incision and results were quite good. And I started after a year or so, I felt really confident that I was onto something. And then sure enough, few years went by and the results were sustained. And then it, I became a destination practice for people coming from across the country, around the world uh, to uh, basically benefit from this technique, which I have now coined mid-face. And um, okay. yeah, mid-face stands for min minimal envision or mini incision, direct festoon access, cauterization and excision. Okay. And it's, and it's okay. in the mid-face. Okay. So who who or what do you have that that you know comes and looks for you for these things okay so i would say the vast majority of my patients are successful men and women in their 40s and 50s i also have uh, a number of patients in their 70s 80s as well as young patients who are just starting to get into this cosmetic sort of, you know, anti-aging sort of revolution, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I think my, I have two main points here. One is let's spread festoon awareness for preventative reasons so that these young patients in their thirties and forties are just delving into the cosmetic uh, sort of injectables, if you will, have knowledge a priori before the fact that Am I going to the right specialist? Am I going to have a natural result? Am I understanding the short-term and long-term long-term consequences of fillers, specifically under my eyes and the cheeks? I want them to ask the certain questions to themselves as well as to the doctor that they see or to the cosmetic specialist that they see um, so that they can be more cognizant of what to expect in the short-term as well as the long-term. And if there are consequences such as festoon formation, is that specialist equipped to treat them or at least to be able to refer them to the right individual, the right specialist? Okay. That's one limb of it. The other limb of it is those patients who have festoons, typically in my practice, they've, they've gone to about seven or eight local surgeons, uh, be they dermatologists, plastic surgeons, all various subspecialists, um, all of whom have likely turned them away because they either don't know how to treat the festoon or they say the festoon wasn't from the filler and it's genetic, it's something familial, something they have to live with. So these patients have lost hope. And maybe later in the podcast, I'll get into the different aspects of suffering of a festoon patient. But I want to reach out to these patients and give them hope to say that, yes, I do have a technique that works under okay. local anesthesia in the office. Okay, perfect. So I think you're, you're touching on something that you said you, you, you would explain 
which was my next question. How, you know, what kind of problems does that, that the festoon can cause? Okay, so let's, let's sort of put our shoes, put ourselves in the shoes of a festoon of a cosmetic patient. Okay, I'm professional. I'm, I may be a CEO. I may be a nurse. I may be a doctor. I may be an entrepreneur. And I'm in my 40s. And I want to look great for my age because there are a lot of young people coming into my company or in my field. And I want to maintain, I want to look great for my age. So I'm going to go in, you know, I've been bothered by my under eye circles for a while and I need a little pick me up. So I'll go to this dermatologist or this plastic surgeon who's very reputable in the community. And I'll just go have a little under eye fill done. I go and have it done. And wow, it looks amazing. I'm so happy. It looks great in the short term. All my hollows are filled out miraculous. But wait, three, four months go by and I'm starting to get some swelling issues. But it's just my body. You know, I don't really care. It'll go away. It'll go away. Well, six months go by, a year go by, a year and a half go by, and I'm getting more and more swelling issues. Sometimes I wake up in the morning. I don't know who I am because the swelling has gone all around. Wow. Well, let me go back to my plastic surgeon or my dermatologist and let me ask them what's going on. Go back and I'm not pointing a finger at anybody or anything. Okay. I'm just telling that likely story. Go back to my, uh, my injector and he or she says, well, you know, your filler dissolved. So it's not bad. It's just your genetics, your heredity. So unfortunately there's no cure for this. It's called a festoon. If they're lucky, they'll get that word. Uh, usually they'll say, yeah, you just have some swelling issues. Patient goes into a funk and gets depressed, doesn't like the way he or she looks. All right, well, I'm going to go get another opinion, another opinion. And six, seven opinions later, I'm out thousands of dollars on consultations. I have spent thousands of dollars on lotions and potions and all these home remedies. Nothing is working. What do I do? Oh, my God. I don't even know what I have. What is this? I don't like the way I look. It's three o'clock in the morning. I'm doing an internet research, internet search. Oh my God, I think I have a festoon. Go on the festoon website. Mate, there are a few people who treat festoons. They'll call Dr. Shina, they'll call whoever, they'll call Dr. Gupta, and maybe they'll fly out to Tampa, maybe they'll fly out to New York. I'm already down thousands of dollars and I'm going to go and spend more. So I'm financially drained. I'm emotionally drained. Um, I have anxiety now. I have depression. I hate the way I look. It's affecting mm -hmm. my job performance. I'm going to go see a therapist now because I need to, I, I, I need to help myself mentally. My mental health is, is being compromised. So you can see how a vicious cycle has been set up. So we have psychological, you know, physical, we have emotional relationships go by the wayside. I go into social isolation. Maybe my company's going to suffer now. Maybe my marriage is going to suffer. So it's a vicious cycle that's set up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Um, it is, um, you know, I saw, um, in your information that you want to make aware, people aware also, of, uh, killer fillers. Is that because it causes festoons or it's something else? Killer filler is specifically referring to filler in the under eye area and the cheek area that segues into festoons. Um, okay. And let me just say, I love fillers. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying fillers are our enemy. Uh, but in the eyelid area and the cheek area, the skin is very thin. And we've got that tight ligament, which is a limited space. So fillers, as they break up, it's a complex sugar molecule. And it breaks up into smaller sugar molecules. 
it becomes more hydrophilic because more polar regions are exposed. And so there's swelling. It's like a water magnet. It just sits there. And as it sits there, it gets more and more hydrophilic. I, I have to say, personally, I'm trying to understand, you know, I have, I, I'm not as knowledgeable as you are, of course, um, but I have bags under my eyes, you know, and I'm mm -hmm. trying to find solutions for that. Mm -hmm. Are fillers something that would help for that? And why do we get those? Okay, so eyelid bags are different from festoons. Okay, so festoons right. have a lot of right. aliases. They're called malar mounds, malar bags, cheek bags. Eyelid bags are a very distinct entity. They're different. I so see. if you recall, I said the orbital bone. Okay. Yep. That's that's our landmark that separates the eyes from the the mid face, the cheeks. Okay, where the fest where festoons occur. So anything that's above that bone, and it looks baggy, that's typically eyelid fat that's come forward, what we call herniated okay. orbital fat. Okay. And the treatment for that is blepharoplasty. Okay. So who gets the fillers then? I, I, I know you kind of touched on that, but... Yeah, not... so fillers are a quick fix for people who have volume loss. And we, tend to, we all tend to get a little volume loss along the orbital rim right above where the festoon would be, okay? okay? And that's that's why when filler is placed along the rim, it may sit there looking pretty for a while. But as like I said, as it starts breaking up and attracting more water and it gets trapped, that fluid will overflow from the orbital okay. rim into this, this festoon area uh, in the space we call the prezygomatic space. And because of that tight ligament, it's trapped. It's going to puddle there. It's going to pool there. I see. Um, so fillers are generally in the under eye area done for what we call under eye hollowness, loss of collagen and volume in, along the infraorbital rim. Okay. Okay. Um, so, you, you know, you, you repair those, but you're also not anti-fillers. So what do you differ, do differently? that makes those fillers work, right? Right, so I I love fillers in other parts of the face and you know, I like I love filler in the temple. I use filler in the cheek, but not hyaluronic acid filler. I use a hydroxy, calcium hydroxy appetite based filler, uh, which is not hydrophilic called radius. I love filler here in the, in like Voluma in the chin to lengthen the jawline. I like natural lip filler. So I'm not anti-filler, I'm just, I just want to have patients be cognizant of filler consequences in this area specifically. And then when cheek filler is done right here, or even nasal labial fold, remember this is a dynamic area. So every time we smile or chew or speak, that filler is gonna get displaced. And if it ends up in the prezygomatic space, it, that's gonna segue into a festoon too. So it's not just the under eye filler, but filler high in the cheek, excessive amounts especially, will drop down into the festoon area or the nasal labial fold will go up. So, you know, when you talked about kind of uh, complication or consequences emotionally and, and um, you know, financially and, of course, all these things, it, but when um, these common material like um, hyaluronic acid are used, is that something that clients need to be worried about, like reacting to and things like that, you know, besides the of leaking into the areas or being encapsulated? Um, sure. So are you meaning like allergic reactions? 
um, possibly, you know, like, um, okay. I mean, I, I know I can't compare that to silicone, but, you know, yeah, there, are, so there, there are things you put in your system that can that affect you. Hyaluronic acid uh, is naturally found in our joints and uh, our teeth, you know, in in, um, in our body and even in the eye, it's, it's a natural sort of chemical in our body. So our body's not going to react to that. And the uh, molecularly, the species is the same across species. So there's going to be no uh, allergic reaction to the hyaluronic acid fillers we use right now. I have yet to see one. So we don't have to be worried about an allergic reaction. It's more just the consequences of the hydrophilic effects of the filler in these areas, as well as what we call intravascular injection. You don't want to, and this is technique dependent, you don't want to inject the filler into a blood vessel. For example, mm -hmm. in the wrong hands, fillers injected into blood vessel under the eye or in the temple or in the glabella here, you know, you can go blind because it connects with the circulation of the eye. Okay. So you have to really be in expert hands to have fillers done correctly, especially in these target areas. But we don't have to really worry about an allergic reaction. If there is one, it, it should be reversed instantly. And it, it can be with an enzyme called hyaluronidase. Okay. So your clients, um, you know, they typically come from far to see you. Um, and they're able to do this procedure is that like an hour or two type thing and then they they it, can leave and they're ready to well I don't know if I can say ready to function but yeah yeah well thank you for asking me that question so when when patients come I mean I have patients from you know near and far but when my out-of-town patients come in they often want to do multiple things at once mm -hmm. Uh, typically, uh, they may want me to do their upper lids while we're at it, their lower lid blepharoplasty, as well as the festoon. And depending on the amount of work that's done, it could be anywhere from two hours to four hours. Um, and I, and like I said before, these procedures are done in the office with oral Valium, oral sedation, and, and lidocaine. And I want to make sure the patient's comfortable. So I just take my time. We take, you know, frequent breaks. Um, for the bathroom, for hydration. Mm -hmm. uh, so it should be a very stress-free experience for the patient. But as far as traveling back, I request that they stay in New York for about 48 hours. Okay. Make sure there's no complications. Yes. Um, for, for maybe younger audience who are you know, starting to get interested. And in, I mean, I, it just seems to me like it, there are people interested in cosmetic, you know, of, of all kinds, younger and younger. Um, is there anything that, that you want to warn them about? You know, of course, you talked earlier about making sure it's done in the right hands, the right techniques and everything. But. Absolutely. Um, I have my, I would say my youngest patients probably, you know, in the late teens and but we're getting an influx of patients in their mid twenties now. And what I tell them is do a little something because anti-aging preventative medicine is great, you know, and the, the earlier you start, the less you need and the less you're going to age downstream. And, and it'll be interesting for us to see as cosmetic surgeons, how much we can ward off surgical procedures. If these millennials, let's say, do these anti-aging procedures now. So for example, if they have under eye circles and hollows, I don't resort to fillers anymore. My first line are the PDO, the polydioxinone threads, which dissolve in about six to nine months 
but they do lay down a robust amount of collagen in response to the threads being there. So I start with threads on my uh, 20 year olds and, you know, you don't have to overdo anything. Uh, these youngsters often want to do multiple things all at once because they're very eager and perhaps impatient at times, but I, I like to space it out. I'll say, all right, I did one treatment. Now I'm going to see you back in four to six months and we'll do another one at that time. So I like to space it out. So the body's not overwhelmed. And also financially, it's not an over expenditure for them. Um, and I think it's just healthier to spread things out and do conservative doses of things. Okay. Um, Great. That, does that answer your question? Um, and, and thank you, Dr. Gupta. And when, you know, someone starts looking into this and, and they want to reach out to you and, um, you know, I mean, I don't know what I don't know. So I guess my question is how do people prepare for the interview or the, you know, consultation? Like what's the best way to get ready? I, I think that I don't expect patients to know anything because that's why I'm here. I'm here to educate them. All I need for them in order for them to call me is they have an interest in anti-aging. How can I advise them? And, and I want to be their gatekeeper. That doesn't mean that if you're coming from afar, that I have to be able to do everything. I just want to be able to guide them that mm -hmm. yay or nay. I have patients who call me, you know, they, be, they could be from Iceland or Germany and they'll say, well, is it okay if I do this? And I, I want to be that gatekeeper for them. So I don't expect patients to know anything and I do want to educate them. And over time, it's going to be a very dynamic, fruitful two-way relationship that, you know, benefits both of us because I want to see a healthy dose of everything, whether I do it or anybody else. And I want to be that, you know, that, that shoulder to lean on for, the, for my patients, no matter where they are in the world. And it, I'm on this mission to save face. And, and I really do mean it. I want to make sure that people don't get injections overdone and they're done at the right time in the right space and the right place. Uh, all of that is important, but it's a learning process. It starts with education. I have some patients who come to me for consultation. And they don't come for a few more years until they're ready. And for me, the psychological component of doing anything is so much more important than actually physically being ready. So we got to give that time. So, you know, as, as this is a, a little bit of a new world, not entirely new, you know, because I do know a little bit of cosmetic, you know, um, you can't be around women and not <laughs> um, my wife, you know, does Botox, she's talked about fillers and, you know, lips and, you know, I'm not familiar with all that. I guess my question, Dr. Gupta, would be, what are the most popular things that, that are, are asked of you or that you do? Great question. So um, there's a surgical aspect of my practice of which the most popular surgeries for me are, you know, my mid-face festoon surgery, lower blepharoplasty, upper blepharoplasty. Okay. I do SMAS facelifts. Then there's a non-surgical or anti-aging aspect of my practice. Uh, from that aspect of my practice, I would say the most popular treatments are Botox or Discord, um, which are both neuromodulators. So I do a lot of that. We do a lot of PRP, platelet-rich plasma uh, treatments for, for hair rejuvenation for the scalp. For It even helps under eye darkness, uh, helps the skin overall. Uh, we do a lot of thread lifting, PDO thread lifting. 
And I use facelift principles to pull up and pull back. So we do a lot of bread lifting. We do a lot of laser resurfacing. You know, anything that's out there that's cosmetic anti-aging, I sort of have a handle on it. I think patients expect their cosmetic specialists to provide all these services under one roof. And so every year it's been my policy for the last 20 years, add one new strategy to our arsenal every year. And I've, I have a, a nice uh, armamentarium now. Wow. Very progressive. Um, you know, I, I can see now why, you know, you're such a premier, you know, destination for, for all these procedure cosmetic and, and things that, um, is there anything you'd like to add um, or any final thoughts um, you'd like to share with our listeners? I, I think, and thank you again for, for allowing me to, for giving me this voice today. I really appreciate it. Um, I think my parting words really would be, first of all, anti-aging. Uh, we have a number of non-surgical tools to work with. So let's try non-surgical first before you delve okay. into surgery. Let's make surgery a last option. It's there, but let's work with what we have non-surgically. We have so many tools. And if you come to someone like me, I'm not the only one out there, but someone like me who has done their due diligence, done their research, and has adopted lasers, microneedling, PRP, thread lifting, all of these wonderful modalities to his or her practice, then start out slowly. Understand first. Educate yourself. Ask the doctor all the questions you want educate yourself, and then start with one zone at a time or one priority, make a priority list and, and, and just do one thing at a time. Don't be in a rush to do too many things all at once. Take your time. It's a really fun process. It's a very productive, fruitful process. It's, uh, it's just, I have to pinch myself when I go home every day. I'm like, oh my God, I actually get to do this for a living. It's really <laughs> fabulous. It's a great field. It's really avant-garde and there's just so many things we have to work with. So it's just such a pleasure to be in my studio every day. Mm -hmm. uh, but for the patient, do not be pressured or rushed into making any hasty decisions or doing too much all at once. Less really is more. I, I have to tell you, you know, as we're finishing up here, this is very inspiring because, you know, I don't know if everyone's the same, but you know, I'm not super knowledgeable about cosmetic, but to listen to you makes me want to discover and I want to feel good about myself. You know, I want like there are some things that a cognition, sometimes I'm, I'm cognizant of, you know, like bags under my eyes, but I don't know what's possible. And to know that there's experts like you to, you know, help with these things is really, you know, I mean, I would feel great knowing that I can fix this, you know, and that there are things that can be fixed by professionals like you. So it's very, uh, it's Thank very you for saying that. It means a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, we all have the right to look our best and that's my motto and let's do it safely and naturally and without anyone knowing that you had any work done can be I done. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much. Uh, thank very you. Appreciated. Uh, um, you, you, I think your information is going to touch a lot of lives and uh, will help pass the message for sure. Um, well, before, um, yeah, before um, we let you go, um, how can people find you? What's, um, what's the best way to find you? So uh, my website, I have a 
maybe three very useful websites. So drlopagupta.com, savingface.co, and festoonsurgery.com. Okay. As well as an Instagram. I just began it a few months ago. Um, So at drlopagupta. I'm also on LinkedIn, drlopagupta. And then I have a book that I wrote. I don't know if we talked about that called Killer Filler in the Festoon Pandemic, which is a great resource. For, for patients to understand okay. all about festoons. Okay. And where can people find your book? The book is available on Amazon. Okay. And the name of that book, one more time, please. It's called, yes, sure. Killer Filler and the okay. Festoon Pandemic. Okay. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll pass the message along. And, um, you. you know, thank you very much for your time and your expertise. Uh, My it's pleasure. great work. And um, we'll you. see you soon. All right. You got it. Thank you again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.